Hey everybody, it's Maddie C. It's so great to be back. Been off for a couple weeks on tour, but here we are again. It's really great to have you here on the What Am I Making podcast. On this episode, I've got something really special for you. I have a chat with my mom, Deborah Carlson. We talk about her love of travel, where that came from, the enchantment of Mexico, and the legacy of giving travel to your children and grandchildren. Let's get into it. everybody. It's Maddie C. Welcome back to the What Am I Making podcast. It is so wonderful to have you here. I've been gone a couple weeks. I don't know if you knew this or not. I went on a cross-country solo tour. Uh, I've only been talking about it all day, every day for months. Um, it was amazing. I have so much more to share with you. I hope you're reading the updates that I'm putting up uh, pretty much daily on the uh, Substack. And uh, I'm trying to put up three or four posts a week. And uh, I'm going to dedicate a day to every day left on the road uh, for each of the shows. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make that its own entry. The last one was a story about my experience in, in uh, the really neat town of Kingston, New York, in the Hudson River Valley, and the experience that I got to have with my friends Taffy and Scott and this amazing historic building that they own and have refurbished and renovated. And then a bunch of friends who, who drove from more than an hour away to come and see me. And um, my heart's super full after this trip. I really hope you're paying attention to these updates. Um, I have so much to, to share with you, and I want to kind of I want to kind of bask in it and soak in it. So I don't want it to be over too soon. Um, but it's just been an amazing experience. I want to say thank you so much to everyone who hosted, bought a ticket, came to the shows, sent me a tip, bought a T-shirt, uh, texted me with words of love and encouragement. It it it's really been a humbling and amazing experience. My heart is so very full. And you guys did an amazing thing helping me make this dream come true. And there will be more shows like this. There will be more tours like this. You have you have helped me to believe that this is a sustainable way for me to go out to share music and my stories with other people and to make a little bit of money along the way. And that's um, it's been a really, really gratifying, humbling, and moving experience, and I, I just can't thank y'all enough. Um, so, I got a new uh, paid subscriber yesterday. I don't know if you guys know this or not, but paid subscriptions are the, the engine upon which this little car drives, and I need your help. And um, I know I just said thanks for an amazing tour, but the reality is that if you're not a paid subscriber, I really need you to be. So if you're enjoying what I'm doing here, you can go to whatamimaking.substack.com and you can sign up for as little as $6 a month. You can do a monthly subscription, a yearly subscription, or you can become a founding member, which is basically a generous one-time contribution of $300. Uh, you can be a, a yearly member for $60, or again, you can, you can join for just as little as $6 a month. If you can't afford it, I totally understand it. I'm trying so hard to make all of this content available to people, even if they're not able to pay for it. I don't, I don't want there to be paywall or an impediment for people who, who want to be able to access this stuff. At the same time, I got to be able to 
keep the lights on and be able to continue to devote the kind of time that is necessary to do this. And so to make that happen, I need a little bit of financial support. So I sure would appreciate it if you would go over and do that at the uh, at the blog at whatamimaking.substack.com. The other way that you can support is, like I said, you can go to phonofourrecords.com slash shop and you can buy a bunch of the stuff uh, left over from tour. I've got some CDs available. I've got T-shirts. I've got posters. I've got old merch that you can get. Um, it's all available, and that all goes to help kind of keep this uh, this thing going. Uh, again, I just I want to thank you all so much for your incredible kindness and generosity out there on the road, and for the kindness and generosity that you've shown me since uh, since I got home and and since I started writing about this. Your your support and your belief in me is really really. Uh, it's been life-changing, and I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Thank you so very much. Now, let's get into the real reason you are here, which is the discussion. This week I have something, I think I have something special every week. I like to think that I only bring you things that are special. Otherwise, they're not worth talking about. This one seems extra special and extra personal to me because it's a conversation with my mom. And I wanted to talk to my mom about, about travel. I wanted to talk to her about why it was important where that came from, and how and why she gave it to me and my sister. And my mother gave the gift of travel to me, my sister, and my dad. She, she gave it to us. She had first been given the gift of adventure by her own father, who willed a trip to Mexico into being for her, despite financial obstacles, when she was still in high school. My grandfather's own experiences in Germany at the end of World War II and then a Jack Kerouac-style cross-country road trip after the war had profound impacts on his worldview, and he attempted to bequeath wanderlust into each of his children. My mom, Deborah, his oldest child, took the seed of that wanderlust and never looked back. Travel has been at the center of our family since I can remember. It's always been common for my folks to split a meal at a restaurant, purchase second-hand clothes, and drive road-weary cars that had seen better days. Each purchase, every purchase in financial choice, attempted to save every possible cent for travel later on. By my teenage years, Mexico had become the center of attention for my parents' strain of wanderlust. Stephen and Deborah found their perfect hideaway in the form of Puerto Escondido, a small beach city along the southern Pacific shore of Mexico. Puerto had become a second home for them, and in a way, for my sister and I and our families as well. Each winter, my folks stayed for weeks or months at a time. The rhythms of our family planned to some degree by when they would be in country and when they would be returning home. When I sat down to have this chat with my mom, I had, I had intended to talk at length about her first two trips to Mexico as a young woman with her best friend, Barb. That jumping off point quickly veered into discussions of family, purpose, and what travel can do to and for our souls. Like a true adventure, this conversation drifts into places I did not expect. And we went with the flow. The wanderlust and the love for Mexico has now filtered from my mother down to her four grandchildren. That love and passion with which my mom has shared the world with each of us is a genuine legacy. She and my dad made every effort to give each of us in the family the chance to see the world and to share their beloved Mexico. In this chat, you'll get to hear that passion, 
and that love for a country that continues to enchant our family. I also get the opportunity to genuinely thank my mother for this amazing gift, both for the physical opportunity to see Mexico and much of the rest of the world, and for the lesson of falling in love with the world that is out there waiting for us. So without further ado, here's a conversation about travel, Mexico, and love with my mom, Deborah Carlson. Enjoy. Really, would, I think I would just love it if you would tell the story about Mostly what I want to get at is is why you got to travel in the first place. What that did for you. Well, you know, you've written some beautiful stuff to me about how Dad and I opened up the world to you and Emily. And yeah. um, that's nice to hear. And, of course, it's what parents want for their kids, this parent anyway. Yeah. But it made me think about your grandfather. Because here's a guy who certainly wasn't raised with the idea of travel or going beyond Sunfield, Michigan. But when I was a junior in high school and my Spanish club could go to Mexico for $300, which was a ton of money in 1967. Yeah. A ton of money. That would have been a ton of money for most families and right. an absolute ton right. of money for your family. Right. Right. But I came home with the package and the details and dad said you're going and i mean he didn't even quibble uh, you're going you're going so naturally i fell in love with mexico when i went there and so when barb and i finished our first year of working after our first year of college we said um hey let's do this let's just go on the road and do this so the the school trip that you took, that was between junior and senior year? Right. Okay. And your... Presumably your dad came up with this money, found yes. a way to do this. Do you remember how he did it? I'm, I'm not sure. Usually when we needed something of that bulk, yeah. we sold a cow. That's how my first semester of college was paid for. I don't know if he did that or not. And that was kind of my question was, you know, did he sell a couple of head of cattle? Or... Now, by this time, he was working construction, so he wasn't at the clay products anymore and made pretty good money. Mm -hmm. I mean, pretty good money for us. Right, um, but it's still, I mean, you're still, yeah. he's still running a small farm. Right. And he, right. You know, your, your mother stays home. Yes. And there are three yes. children. Yep. And uh, that ain't cheap. Mm -mm. No. Not a bit. Um, how much do you think his experience traveling after he was in the military... I mean, he was out west with a friend right after they got home from Europe, right? Right. I mean, they went, they went straight out. And it was months. Yeah. In hearing him tell. Yeah. Do you remember how long he was out? I assume it was like five months or something like that. It Enough time that they certainly didn't have money for that. They had to work their way across country. Yeah, I mean, they would stop and get a job for a couple of days and then right. move along. Yeah. Right? I mean, it was very they, much a... They worked in orchards and on farms and such. I mean, I'm sure I have romanticized it, but it is very much a Cell Paradise and Dean Moriarty sort of experience without, so far as I know, that level of debauchery. 
Um, Again. The older I got, the more of that I heard. Mm-hmm. But, um... <laughs> yeah. Fair, fair enough. Yep. Uh, I, yeah. He was very... He was... I mean, he was wistful about everything at a certain point. But uh, if wistful means crying teary, at the teary drop of and, a, yeah, and nostalgic yeah. and... Yeah. But he was also foundationally moved by that experience. Uh, more than eye-opening, it was soul-opening for him. It was... I mean, he would tell me stories that weren't even really stories. They were more images. It was almost poetry. He talked about... I don't know where he was, but somewhere in Germany, and there were two Indian officers. And he said, Debbie, they had these little fez hats on, and they had white white uniforms and they're dark skin and they were small boned and they were so sharp looking. I just will never forget that image as long as I live. So again, seeing something different, seeing a world that is apart from Sunfield, Michigan is astounding. It, it You can't grasp it. Well, and you said something interesting too, where you said, you know, he never had any plans to move beyond Sunfield. Based on what I have heard about that, romantic though he tries to make it sound, it was very much a Darwin-esque upbringing. I mean, it was a, there was a survivalist element to it with 12 siblings in a tiny house and no money. It wasn't so much about getting out and do, it, was, it wasn't so much about like having plans. It was, escape is harsh, but it was, it was... You know, you're you're gonna turn eighteen. You're gonna move out, if not sooner. And so, oh right, you know, it wasn't like there were plans. It was just okay. So figure out what's gonna happen. Like I th I think he thought that it was just gonna be was the military or something else. You know, I don't know this sitting here. Was he drafted or did he volunteer? He was drafted. He was drafted. Okay. But he didn't go until after the war was over. And he always said, during the war, of course, when he's in high school, he's ready to go and anxious to go even almost. And he said, I would have been a great soldier. But after we won the war, I wasn't such a good soldier. Right. So there wasn't that much of a reason to follow what he presumed were stupid orders, for instance. The stakes are completely different. Totally different. Um, and just having heard and, and read some stuff about the Marshall Plan that he was a part of, and just a lot of just the logistics of getting troops home. Right, right. All kinds of nonsense happens. If people get wounded or even killed, uh, you know, people wind up going to prison for a long period of time yeah. because they're just bored. They just get they got all of this energy and all of this trauma they've been through in many cases, and it's all built up, and they just want to go home. Yep. Um, so I can see that that would be. a Dangerous time to be a soldier. He actually, he didn't, he wasn't ever in trouble or anything. Right. It was just not like the movies. It was a different kind of war after it was over and you were an occupier. And, um, but he fell in love with Germany. He just, I'm so sorry he never made it back there. That's really a shame. It really is. Because he did make it back to the West to some degree. He did get to see some of that again. Yes, absolutely. Um, 
And I think that there is a, a there is a softening that happens within us where we see a thing as a young person and we have this sort of specific viewpoint that we want to turn the world into. And then I find that when I see things like that later that are majestic and amazing, I'm more able to turn myself over to them instead of trying to turn them into me. Mm. And I wonder how he must have felt to stand there at the Grand Canyon as a 50-year-old man and think about what he must have felt at 23. Mm-hmm. You know? And I, what's the... I, I'm going to screw this up, but uh, my friend Bill Boyle, who was on recently, said uh, a man can only... It's a... Carl May is the German philosopher's name. And the quote is something like, a man can never cross a river more than once. Once he crosses it, he's never the same man and it's never the same river. And... I heard the translation as you can't step into the same river twice. Same sentiment, different phrasing, Mm -hmm. but yes. Yeah. Regardless, I think it, it's true. And I think it's a lesson that can only be learned with time. I, I don't think you have to learn it when you travel. I mean, you do learn as you go along, but I think you are so stunned by it and so overtaken most people that you just let it carry you. Do you think that's one of the things you learned by going as a younger person? Yes. Yes. For one thing, the first time we went, of course, everything was planned out for us. Oh, sure. But we still met people on our own. We still had free time that we could go explore things. And I was 16 years old, and I'm walking around... Mexico City with people that I've met from Lubbock, Texas and um, Mexico City and it's I'm in this and what I close my eyes what I can smell is the diesel from all of the buses and that takes me right back to those multi-laned streets that are going past ancient buildings it is the most profound sense it is. It is more profound in some ways, in terms of memory, than touch. Yes. Even than music. Even than music. And that's pretty close. It's real close. But smell, aroma is almost like time travel. It is. Um, if you give me... Bougainvillea and Diesel. Uh. I'm standing on the street waiting for the Colectivo. So there is that sickly sweet smell. The only sound I can hear other than traffic is the gee from all the freaking bugs. And the shuffling of feet on dirt. I mean, that, that to me sort of feels like what I think of as Mexico. Um, what do you, what do you attribute, Mexico is a genuine, honest to God love. I would almost say that it has been an infatuation for you and dad. Yes. That it is, it, there is almost an obsessive nature to seeing all of it and experiencing as much as possible. 
why Mexico? Um, and why did that trickle down to dad? Was it just because you loved it so much? Well, you know that the first time we went, he went to Mexico was Cancun. Yeah. And Cancun was not Cancun, as people know it today, <laughs> of course. I think it had been opened two years as far as having more than a couple of hotels. Um, so it was, it was strictly a, a strip on the canal, and we could walk everywhere that you would want to walk. Right. And um, we got there in February and walked out of the plane, and it was warm. And both of us were like, wow. Wow. Because it was my third time in Mexico, and I had never been in the winter, and that was amazing. Well, and you'd also been to Mexico City predominantly. Where oh, it is, not predominantly. Oh, not predominantly. No. Oh, well, my apologies. We'll have no. to get to that in a minute. Um, so you got off the plane and it was super warm. Yeah. And you must have had... So this was before you went back into the classroom? Was this when you had the office supply store? Yes. Okay. So at this point, you're not working on a school schedule. No. So you can go in February. Yep. So you guys go and you go for a week. Yep. And... What what happens? Um, well, it, the hotel is lovely. There are flowers everywhere. The beach is, as you know, among the best in the world. While I don't like Cancun, that water and that sand are amazing. And it's mica, so it never gets hot. It's unbelievable. I, it doesn't make. It still doesn't make sense to it's me. It's just, been explained to me, yeah. and I don't get it. And I, so of course we fell in love with the color and the. All of that. But what tricked it for your dad was a <laughs> side trip to Chichen Itza. And, uh, wow. Did he know? Like, did he know about Chichen Itza before you went? I really don't remember. I remember him falling in love with Mayan culture and the ruins and the whole story. I don't remember when that started. He knew some. I don't know if he knew Chichen Itza specifically but he knew some maya stuff okay and he he knew i mean he could always rattle off dates and uh, yeah people that were okay we'd read estella and oh yeah that guy reigned from whatever to what okay okay right and you have no natural aptitude at this none none but he can sit in one of those ball courts and Picture the game and picture the stands with the people in them. I cannot people it for myself. Isn't that fascinating? I, I mean, think you and I have talked about this before. I think the last time we had this conversation was a couple of years ago when we were at Palenque, and you came over and you asked, "Can you see it?" And I said, "Yeah." And you said, "I wish I could see it." I, I, and, it's just a bunch of rocks and the, beautiful. I, and I don't, I don't know that I see it like in a mind's eye way. I get a sense of it. Right. I get, I get a. I can get a feeling of what that must have felt like with the atmosphere and the a thousand or two thousand people in it. You know, I don't know what the sizes were, um, but you know, I one of the things I I think about is, I mean, you know, we just took a family trip to Comerica Park. I want to know: is it really that different? 
You know, is it? Well, you know, the Diamondbacks were not going to lose and die. Well, but here's the thing. We still don't know whether or not the Diamondbacks or the Tigers are going to lose in that circumstance based on who wins or loses. No. Because we still really don't understand completely how they use that space. But I think the idea of whether it's gladiators or shortstops of large groups of people being entertained in a space by a physical thing happening in front of them whether that's a feat of strength against the lion to survive or just to try to turn a double play like clearly there's something innate there something. i mean it doesn't matter where you go in the world we got a place where everybody does this and we care from tibet to timbuktu to texas to Teotihuacan, if I may. And so, I guess I can see it through that lens. I can see it through the lens of, we've always done this. And and to me, that's the beauty of seeing the old stuff when we travel, is being able to, to have that kind of lifeline back to another world where this thing looks different, but it was essentially the right. same thing. Um, what I struggle with is, I can't see it all gilded and painted oh me too i can't see that i can't see it in its i can't see it in its glory i can get the sense of oh i know what it would feel like if this was a little more fixed up and there were a bunch of people here but i can't i can't get the sense of or like when you see the 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 colonnades at chichen itza in the warrior temple and you know those were all covered with thatched roofs i can get that that's a thing i i really can't picture it in my head in i think campeche but I don't know, one of the colonial capitals, there's a museum and they have a, a sort of a mini city that they have painted and thatched as it would have been. Almost and, like a little diorama kind yeah, of a thing? Yeah, but it's bigger. I mean, you sure. can walk through it. So oh, okay. it's, in a, it's in a room. It's not huge, but it, it would be a, a building or something. Yeah. And oh my gosh, it for some reason it's not as pretty. It, it's kind of garish. But when I think about the colors in Mexico and their love of color. Yeah. Um, and the sun and all of that, it makes perfect sense. Well, and let's be honest, whether it's royalty in the sense of the Mesoamericans, the Chinese, or the Brits, garish is kind of the move. If, it's, you, if it's, you can afford it, you, you better show off what it. you got. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I would like to also talk a little bit about San Cristobal because that was a place that you and I didn't get to share together until after dad had died. But going there felt like not just a way for you and my sister and I, the three of us, to share Mexico, but to also, in a way, pay tribute to his love for Mexico. What, what, was, what is it about San Cristobal that is special to you? And was maybe special to the two of you. It's it's old Mexico. Less so now, probably. But when you walk around and see people in serapes and you see people with skirts on that are made out of a black lamb that is just kind of wrapped around their bodies, and then they have a shiny aqua shirt to go with it, and that means that they're from this village. And after a while, we could recognize those villages. And 
some of them, many of them even did not speak Spanish. And it was a real privilege to go and see that. These are truly indigenous people. Indigenous. Um, They've been doing the same thing for centuries. And when you and Em and I were there, which was in 2021, uh, did you feel like we saw fewer indigenous folks in the city than you had seen previously? Yes. Okay. Well, <clears throat> and seeing them with cell phones somehow takes a little of the glamour off. Well, I mean, we were at Shamula and we go in that amazing ancient sort of hybrid church, which is this... It is sort of a pig Latin of indigenous beliefs and Catholic practices that is kind of hodgepodge together and really frozen in time. Like it has just kind of calcified from when the colonists showed up 450 years ago or whatever. I don't use the word unique very often, but that church is unique in my experience. Oh, mine too. Um... And I, I suspect there are others. The question is, have they survived and have they been preserved in the same way? So are there other, so there are probably other churches in that region that were founded at the same time. I mean. For sure. I want to, I want to say. You can find the churches. Mom, I want to say that church at Shamula was like 60 years after Columbus. You can I mean, find plenty decades. of the buildings though, Matthew. But you don't find the people sitting there with their families That's what I'm saying. praying and right. sacrificing and Yeah. Yeah. I mean they're 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 basically going into this church that is is it consecrated as a Catholic church? Yes. Okay, but they are going in and doing these sort of old world rituals. Yes. They are uh native indigenous practices, uh herbalist things um i can't think of the right the right word it's a it's a sacrifice i mean chickens are most often used chickens um, are most often sacrificed uh the i when i put up the the interview i'll do some photos and i'll try to see if i can find a photo that somebody's taken of the palm fronds because that's the other thing that just amazes me about that experience is there's this they're pine i said palm and i meant pine i'm okay. so sorry thank you for catching it but there's that massive stone floor. Right. And it is just covered in pine. It's just covered in pine needles. And then there are all these candles just stuck to the floor, burning next to you. You're like, how has this thing been here for five centuries or whatever it is? It makes no sense. Well, there's nothing in there to burn except some of the icons, I suppose. Right. Are I wood. suppose, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Ave Maria could go up in flames. Could be. Uh, what, um, what do you tell people when you tell them that you have spent a bunch of time in Mexico and they are genuinely interested in what that's like, what do you, what is sort of your, um, for people who haven't been or who wonder about what it's like to go there or maybe have only been to places like Cancun and Acapulco or an all-inclusive resort, um, what do you love about what you and I would refer to as real Mexico? What is it about that country specifically that somehow has found a place in your heart and the people have found a place in your heart? Firstly, I wish there were people who were interested in what I loved about Mexico because people who have not been, usually the reaction is, you go to Mexico? 
Because they're frightened. They're frightened. Because and they, of, because they imagine, think everybody's in a cartel? They cannot imagine that I made it back alive. Time after time after time. And that, so I have to defend Mexico first. But the people who really care, um, I people are wonderful all over the world. In yes, my, they are. In my limited travels of a few countries I think and it's because I've spent more time there I'm sure of course but we have been in situations that could have gone awry and instead they ended up to be wonderful adventures because people are just so helpful they're really amazing I mean, I know that you thought your father and I were crazy when we left you in the bus station and <laughs> quahi blah 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 however many souls oh, it has it, after that. That the whatever the name of that town was was thirty one letters long. At, at least. least. At least. But I knew that we were going to be taken care of. Yeah. And I have never been disappointed. Never. It and that's the other thing that travel will do for you. You might have a negative experience or a bad oh, day or even, yes. or even be the subject of somebody who takes advantage of you, like a pickpocket, for example, Yep. which you have had happen I to you. I have had happen to me. By and large, my experience is that the number of people out there who are remarkable and generous and kind is dozens to one against the bad apples. Um, 99 point something percent. Well, I mean, the thing that I keep talking about when I have these interviews with people is that really the lesson that you learn is say yes to the thing. Good lesson. Do the thing. I mean, I was joking around about it when we were in Morocco and Lori said, you really hung with that guy, that tour guide who was giving me a hard time. And I said, you got to have a yes and improv approach to life. It's true. Do the shit. Oh, that seems cool. Is there a fundamentally good reason keeping you from doing it? No? Go do it. Yep. Go do it. Life will be better because you did it. Um, you continue to go back, uh, not just to the areas you'd been, but you also, I think, kind of went out of your way to continue to, to sort of explore Mexico Yeah. throughout. Yeah. Um, not the more, probably not the northern states much. Okay. So the stuff along the, along the border, not so much. Um, yeah. And I've never been to the Baja. Okay. Okay. Which I've heard really interesting things about and would like to see. Mm -hmm. Um, it sounds like a really interesting, it sounds like a very different subset of Mexico that I would yes. like to experience it sounds like a, and i don't know that i i can't be objective because i love puerto escondido so much that that everything else gets compared to it and it's not it's not fair um but i love the idea that there are still hidden places in that gorgeous and magical country that i mean there's a cancun out there right now I mean, I don't want somebody to turn it into Cancun, but there's the same kind of thing where there's four hotels and a tiny airport. and I'm telling you what, it's going to be Puerto Arista. You heard it here first. Uh, 
this was the place you and I talked about the lat when we were there last time, when we went for the the service on the boat. This was the place that you said all the people who can't afford this are going to go here next. Maybe, I mean, maybe they will. I mean, most people don't even know it's there. It's not much, but it's gorgeous beach. Right, but nobody knew about Puerto Escondido ten years ago. No, they didn't. And stupid Condé Nast had to open their fat freaking mouths. No, they didn't. Um. So your dad gives you this gift. Gift. This gift. Are you the only one in the family that gets the gift? I think I'm the only one who wanted the gift. Isn't that interesting? And yet... I mean, I don't Your family remember. travel, but they do not travel the same way. And they do not travel the same places. They don't travel. Your brother and... Okay. Your sister-in-law... Now they do. Travel I mean, quite they... a bit since Pam retired. They do love exploring the United States. They do. And it's they a do. big country, for heaven's sake. I, you and I were just talking about this, I think, this morning. We were talking about, you know... I mean, imagine if you were... Imagine if it were the other way around and you were going to backtrack across the U.S. instead of Europe. Right. I mean, first of all, with our public transit system, good luck. Good freaking luck. Yeah. But what I will say is that you'd have plenty to do and you could take all kinds of time. You're not going to run out of shit to do. No. First of all, Hannah and I were just having this conversation the other day. There's a bunch of this country I haven't seen and I feel like I'm more traveled than most people I know. And I have been to 33 states. There's a lot of this country I've never seen. A lot. And we talk about the saming of America, and you can find the same restaurants and sure. hotels and all of that. But the terrain changes so much that it really does inform on the population. People act differently depending on the climate and the geographic Absolutely. area that they live in. Look at how different a person who lives in New York behaves than somebody who lives in Chicago, who lives in, some, who lives right. in L.A. Right. And I know which one of those people I'm going to spend time with. It's just... It's part of our DNA, and it's part of maneuvering this life that we are in. So when you live... Okay, I've lived in a few places in this state. Yeah. And they're all different. Right, and that's ever one so state. Yes. You know, the thumb is not northern Michigan. And northern Michigan is not Lansing. Not at all. And not Lansing is not Detroit, is not Grand no. Rapids, is not Traverse City. No. Is not the UP. But again, you know, this is a country that's, I mean, this is a state that's the size of a country in Europe. It, for sure, yes. Each peninsula. You know. Well, was it that Scotland was only a little bit bigger than the UP? Oh, yeah, we did that comparison. You know? Yeah. I, like, that's... It's a nice reference point. It is. I mean, I mean, states here are like countries in Europe in many yes. respects. Yes. Um, so your dad gives you this gift. You're the only one that wants it, or at least wants it that way. I guess. Um, and then you decide, I'm going to give this gift to my kids. Who, as one of them, of course, didn't have any idea you were giving it to us. We just went with the flow. Um... 
and you did stuff with us that you were able to do with varied interest levels and budgets and kept it fun. How much did you and dad talk about it or was it just organic? It was like anything else with parenting. If you love something, you want to share it. Whether it's music or a favorite story or anything else. Right. Fishing, don't care. Sure. It's like, I, I love this. I want to share this with my kid. And I know that for Emily, going to Mexico the first time, and I think she was six. Yeah, that sounds right. How old were, were you, 14? I think it was the spring break, right? I think it's spring break of 86, right before we turn 6 okay. and 14. So we're okay. actually 5 and 13 okay. the first time we go. Okay. Well, I know that for her, the story that I remember most distinctly is being on the beach. And she was playing with a child from Mexico. And they could not speak each other's language one whit. And they played together all afternoon. Drawing in the sand, building things, swimming, making up games that I don't know Actually how they did. Actually communicating with each other. For sure. Now, I'm a 13-year-old boy at this point. Yeah, what did I, you think? I remember this happening. Do you? I remember watching this going, how are they doing this? They can't talk to each other. And the simple fact was that that didn't matter. That was, There were no rules. And by the time I was 13, I was like, but how do you know, how do you know how to play? And they still had that naivete where it went, what well, doesn't, we can't figure that out. It doesn't matter. And what did you think? Of Mexico? That, that first time. Mostly what I remembered was I remembered it being warm in April, which felt great. I remember being able to swim all the time. I remember thinking Chichen Itza was about the coolest thing I'd ever seen. Okay. Um, and because Cancun, even then, is still a resort area, so you're not gonna get into villages and talk to families oh, or no. any of that it stuff. It was, it was an ex. What I remember of that trip was an excursion to go to Chichen Itza and a beach vacation. Okay. Um, and then my next real genuine recollection of of Mexico is the first time we go to Puerto, sure. which is 92, I think. Um, and that made a big impression. Because it felt... It was maybe the first time I went on vacation, like an actual vacation where we did stuff, and I felt like I was, I was in a place where it was real. Mm-hmm. It didn't feel phony. And I don't mean that like Disney I that I wasn't excited about Disney World or downtown Toronto or Washington DC, but it wasn't made to entertain you. It was how real people It wasn't lived. hyped. Yeah. It was it was families and yeah. small business people and this old lady who'd been working the front desk of the same hotel for thirty years. Mm -hmm. And still didn't speak any English. Um, it was, yeah, I mean, it was that kind of stuff. And it was, it was getting to see a mom take her kids to school mm -hmm. and watch a guy get on the collectivo to go to work. 
and realizing all these people are doing the same shit that we're all doing back home. They're just doing it in a different place, in a different language, with different skin, in different houses. And at 14 or whatever, that was... Or not 14, but 20, 21. That was really... That was life-changing. Was it? Yeah. Yeah, that was... Um, I mean, I was already a pretty sympathetic and progressive kid. But that sort of... That sort of solidified my progressivism. It It made me... It made me really... It was the first time I was really aware of how fortunate I was, I think. Like, genuinely. Really? I mean, I think I had known... That's kno- a very good lesson. I think I had known it. I think I would known it before. I'd seen it. But I distinctly remember leaving the airport in Acapulco and seeing all of these huts on this hill, and they were all just decrepit. And thinking people are living their lives in these, and there are too many people in them, and and they're just forgotten. They're just nobody gives a shit. How does that? How do we let that happen? And you know, it's it's good because I've only been asking myself that same question for thirty years. <laughs> so um, I will wrap up real quick. Uh, you talk about this is this is one of the things I hope to do with this, mom. You talk about people who are afraid. There's only one way to stop being afraid. And it's to go do it. It's to go to the place that scares you. And the reality is I can dream up any reason in the world to be afraid to go do something. It's way more dangerous for me to get in my car to drive to the airport than it is to get on a plane and go to whatever country you want to name. It's more dangerous to do that than it is for me to go on vacation anywhere not called Syria, almost, and Ukraine. Give me an elevator pitch for why people should go to Mexico, specifically. I don't know that everybody should go. I why? Mean, if okay. you go All right. there... What, 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 would, uh, what are the things about Mexico that you love most that you think are the reason other people should fall in love with it? It is so basically real. It is what it is what we all strive for in um, growing our kids, educating our kids, seeing on the beach kids playing soccer with a ball that doesn't have hardly any air in it, and all of the or people isn't around the ball. Or, right. right. And and yet it is, it's sunset and the ocean is wafting in and the tide is changing and this is what people do at night. And it's like, wow, I'm sitting down watching Ted Lasso. Yeah. And I again, I will say I've been fortunate. Um, I'd never, I don't think I've ever been to a country quite as beautiful as Mexico. And I, I, I think where I live is gorgeous. There is something about Mexico that is just multidimensional and beautiful and spectacular and exotic and 
overwhelming. You know what? Maybe that's the trick. It's exotic at the same time that it's homey. How is that possible? How is that possible? Well, now I'm speaking specifically of Puerto Escondido. I understand that, but still, but, there's a place on earth that feels exotic and like home. But it's true. Well, it's true for you, and it's true for us. Right. And I think, but I also think it's a, I think it's a sentiment that a lot of people do find. I think a lot of people um, do. I mean, I, and I think a lot of this too is sometimes we, we've talked about this in movie club. Why do we open up for a specific film? Right. Why does that hit us at the right time? We went to Puerto Escondido at a time where you and Dad specifically uh, were looking for that kind of experience. And you had heard you could get it. And even with a couple of hiccups, it wound up being better than you thought it was going to be. And it was more amazing than you had imagined. And so you couldn't wait to come back. And so you did. And then you came back and built a life there. Well, do you know about our second time going to Puerto Escondido? Just the two of you? Yeah. I guess I don't. Well, we had been there um, the first time when we were in Oaxaca, and we just came down for three days and fell in love with it. Great. So the next time we flew in through Villahermosa, and we took a bus all the way down the southern border with Guatemala, and we came up through, um, well, we were going to Huatulco because we'd heard this was going to be a new resort. Oh, okay. And so we were on this second-class bus, and we asked them to drop us off at Huatulco, and they dropped us at this place that was just across in the road, which I know now was where you go into San Agustin, or you go the other way to Old Huatulco. Right. But it is not the... It's Port not the City. resort. It is not the resort. And we didn't know what to do if we got off there. So we said, um, maybe we don't want to do that. And they said, well, the next stop is Puerto Escondido. Do take us there, we said. And when we got there, even though we'd only been there three days before in our lives, it mm -hmm. was like, oh, my gosh, we're home. And so for the next 35 years, we went back. Do you have a number of how many times you actually went? We didn't miss many years okay. uh, from, oh gosh, 90, I would say. Okay. So, so 25 trips probably? No, more than that. More than that? More than that. Okay. Uh, really, we, we missed very few years. That's amazing. Yeah. How many of those at Casamar? Um, twelve, I think. Okay. So almost maybe half. not. Probably twelve for me. Maybe not twelve for both of us. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing Mexico with me. Thank you for falling in love with it. Um. What's cool is I don't that my know how you don't... children fall in love with it. That oh, is way cool. They have fallen in love with it. All four of them have fallen in love with it hard. Yep. In different ways for different reasons. Yep. Um, when we were in Oaxaca with Hannah, 
Yeah. And she was having a, a bit of anxiety because it was Day of the Dead and Oaxaca. In Oaxaca. Is, yeah, that's, that's a little anxiety ridden. And yeah. we had her, you know, we forget that Hannah is not us. And so um, we're walking around at midnight on empty streets and she was not that comfortable. But we didn't think of that. So anyway, the next day I said, sweetheart, how about we do Day of the Dead tonight? We'll go to that little cemetery. And then tomorrow we will go to Pueblo Escondido. I would love that, she said. And she was and all then, better. And then all better. And then she had a great time and painted her face. And Because we did she knew all she was going to go home. And she was going to go home. And it yes. wasn't just that she was going to go to Puerto Escondido. It was that she was going to go to Casamar. Right. It was she knew be, what it was going to be like. It was like. going to be those people in right. that place. And yep. Yes. It's home. It is absolutely it's, home. And I think what people sometimes don't realize is that you can find home on the other side of the world. Yes, you can. It's waiting for you. It's out there. And I feel really bad for people who don't have that who don't have that sense of knowing there's another one out there and sort of waiting until they stumble upon it you know um there are a few things in this world more magical than stumbling into a restaurant on a street and not knowing anything about it and having an experience because some people are there to help you have a good time and by doing that, they have a good time. Right. And you become part of the fabric of their story. And you'll remember it much more clearly than they will. Because you're going to have it once and they're going to have it thousands of times. But your once is part of their thousands of times. And without you, they can't have that. And there is a magic in just turning yourself over to that. In just saying, I don't have control. I don't get to direct the ship right now. What I get to do is just experience whatever comes at me because that's what I'm here for. You know what? That was the probably single most laudable thing about your father in travel. Not that he wasn't frustrated at times, but because he didn't speak the language and I did. Yeah. He had to sort of go with what was out there. And most of the time, that was like finding the Santa Fe the first time. Oh, and, wow. And he loved to tell that story. But it was, um, uh, most of the time, it was, I'm just willing to, whatever, yes, take me there. Take me here. And if he needed or wanted something, he would ask, or he would find a way to will it into being? Uh, the most annoying thing about your father was... Because he would ask anybody anything. Mm -hmm. He thought I should ask all of these questions that were in his head. Right. Which, no, I'm not going to bother these people with it. But and you speak the language and he doesn't. Oh. <laughs> wow. Uh, you also managed to travel together pretty well. We actually did. You really did. I mean, I know that he we drove you crazy from time to time. Well, that's being married. Well, that, yeah. That just happens. Sure, sure. Um, it probably happened less in Mexico because the other 
worldly stresses aren't there. Right. Um, and we didn't have kids much of the time. And you had... This is another interesting thing that I thought was that I thought was fascinating watching the two of you. You had different routines in Mexico than you had at home. Yeah, they were definitely routines. I, I have to tell you the saddest thing about going to Mexico the last time without him was that I swear I could hear his sandals hitting the steps on the way up from his walk. I absolutely could hear that. And then he would come in and take that grungy hat. hat off and hang it on that post and pour another glass of water. <sighs> and Did he always go in the morning? Yes. Okay. Because it would just get always. too hot? Yes. Okay. Yep. Um, so he would do that, and then that's when you would do email and write? Yep. Okay. And yep. then lunch? Lunch. Some days home, some days out. Right. Some yep. days trip to the market. Oh, yeah. Get a comida, come back. Yep. Swim. Uh, probably bring a chicken for dinner. Yep. If you're getting a comida for lunch, you're not going to go out yep. twice nope. in one day. You never went out twice in one day? No. Nope. Not never, but hardly ever. When our children were there sometimes. Yeah. I, even then, I would, if we're at Casamar, I would rather eat in the room almost. For sure. Well, who has a better restaurant setting? Holy shit. That is quite the view. Um, have you kind of made the decision you're not going to go back? No. Okay. No. It makes uh, I guess it makes me happy to hear you say you haven't closed that door. I mean, you... I will tell you, Rock is so sweet. Because he sent me a, a text a few... Well, when they were in Mexico, right before they left to come home. Yeah. And he said, I, we just reserved your room for next year and be warned all four of us are going to be campaigning for you to come back I, I think that's really lovely and if they really do want me that's sweet um I so no I've not closed the door okay. nor have I bought a ticket but um Mexico's there but Puerto is changing so much that I sure Puerto don't want changing it. so much I don't want it to be another Cancun but uh, there's no stopping there's you no and I stopping. don't get to make that decision. No. No. And I don't care that there are more people there. What I care about is that they're all gringos. Because my friends are being priced out of their apartments and their homes. And so they are having to live across the river in Barra de Navidad. So yeah. They have to live further so out of town. I, in, the in, thing about Casamara was we lived with the chickens and the people across right. the street who had kids. And they were playing soccer in the streets. And they were hanging out at night. And when you went to the bodega on the corner or you went to the taco joint, it wasn't tourists. No. It was locals. Right. And that isn't the case anymore. No. Um, no. And the area down by the... By the Punta, where all the surfers oh, are, has just gotten to the point where it's just not fun to be down it's there. It's not fun. It used to be fun to be down there, and it's not enjoyable yeah. anymore. I don't mind being the oldest person on the beach. Oh, no. I don't mind that at all. But when all of them are crowding around and that you don't hear a word of Spanish, and no, no thanks. And it's hard to walk down the street. It and, is. It is. And there's too much traffic. It's just a, I don't want to sound like an old man, but it's just not, not enjoyable. It's not... Well, let's wrap this up because I could use another gin and tonic. I could use another gin and tonic. Um, 
Thank you for sharing your love of travel with us. I appreciate you. Thank you. There she goes. My mother, Deborah Carlson. What an amazing human being. Oh my God. I cannot believe how I won the lottery to get that lady as my mom. Just unbelievable. I'm so incredibly fortunate. Thank you to her for being here. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for being a subscriber. If you're not a paid subscriber, please go over to whatamimaking.substack.com and sign up for a paid subscription today. Please make sure you also go over and check out all the fun stuff that I have left over from tour, including those brand new CDs that will make their way to me eventually. Uh, you can go to phonofourrecords.com slash shop and buy all kinds of fun stuff and help keep this car rolling. Um, your support, your kindness, your generosity are amazing to me. Thank you. If you're interested in hosting a house show, yeah, I just got back from a tour, but I got more shows I got to play. If you're interested in hosting a show and you want me to come to your neck of the woods, reach out. Find me over at the blog at whatamimaking.substack.com and send me a note or reach out to me on the socials or send me an email at phonofor at gmail.com. Don't forget, you can also leave me a message at speakpipe.com slash whatamimaking. Thanks so much for being here. I'll see you next time, my friends. I love you. Bye. And after a brief break, that there was a production of Maddie C and his ADHD.